We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Mike. And boy, did I need a game like that, Mike. Not just because of the result, Lakers win 129 to 110 uh, against Orlando, but we played really well. If you listen to yesterday's pod, a lot of it was us lamenting the massive size differential between the Lakers and Orlando and talking about potential solutions on how we can size up and be more conventionally sized and whatnot. And then the Lakers deliver, Mike, what I thought was a textbook how to beat a team that's bigger than you performance that was really keyed by LeBron has looked great the last dozen, 15 games. If we can get that LeBron and aside from his three point shot, not looking that great uh, last couple of games, but he's just playing really well in a number of uh, facets of the game. If we can combine that guy with the Anthony Davis we had earlier and do that for a decent stretch of games, man, that would be great. And then Russell Westbrook, I think was really the key though, to that like textbook, how do you beat a team that's bigger than you? And he was just fantastic last night. Um, and so just that those, uh, those things, Mike, I, I really like how we defended overall, how we rebounded, just a lot of aspects of that. Really, we checked a lot of boxes. So I'd love to kind of zero into the game that we played last night. I'd love to hear your observations from it from on the ground. Well, the Lakers landed the first punch and staggered Orlando a little bit. And then they kept their foot on the gas and they sustained it. And it was a surprise in some ways to me. Orlando had come in winning eight of nine games and was feeling high on life. They had some some really good wins, including back-to-back over Boston in that stretch. The Lakers, of course, had lost four in a row and just reeling some without AD. And go back and listen to our last couple pods if you want to hear all about that. And Dire. And so they come <laughs> into this one, but... A couple things happened. So first of all, I think the Lakers finally listened to the way that Darvin Ham had been explaining how he wants sort of and needs them to play um, with the, you know, getting a body on a body and really gang rebounding and all of these things that hadn't happened for a couple of different reasons. And so they end up out rebounding Orlando 46 to 37. 
And at first, part of that was because Orlando was just not hitting any shots. I think in the first half, the shooting splits were the Lakers were in the low 50s and the Magic were in the low 40s. And the Lakers were kind of just dropping off some and encouraging players like um, Bancaro and Fultz, especially to take perimeter shots. And, you know, those are not Orlando is not a good shooting team. That is one of the things that the Lakers were able to leverage some and even even the, the Wagner brothers, right? Like where they, they both shot decently, but they had super low attempts and it ended up Orlando's rotation also got super messed up because Bancaro got in early fall trouble. Um, he only ends up playing 22 minutes. He was one for six from the field. This is a player who had only failed to score double figures one time. And it was when he got nine points in another foul trouble mm-hmm. game. He's been like at anywhere from 20 to 30 for most every game. And I sensed a bit of this started in the pregame. I was listening to their, their coach. I mostly speak. And somebody asked him about Apollo and how excited he was to play against LeBron and sort of, you know, show, hey, I'm the, new, the next number one pick. Like, I'm ready. Sure. This is, is going to be my league one day. And I don't know if he had stars in his eyes. I don't I don't know what exactly happened, but he just did not. You know, you barely noticed him um, in, in terms mm-hmm. of production. And so that he has been one of their best players, um, if not their best for certain games when Wagner's been off and. And then they had Wendell Carter um, coming off, who I think is their best center, but he was coming off the bench on a minutes limit and he was at 19 minutes. So it just, it did not look like the team that I've seen play and play really well the last uh, couple of weeks in Orlando. And, and that's, that's not to take credit away from the Lakers. I think they put them in that spot uh, with a focused sort of veteran kind of direct um, effort. And, and they were supplemented. You mentioned, Russ certainly, but they were supplemented by things like Thomas Bryant going eight for 10 with 10 rebounds and, you know, by Austin Reeves doing his typical stuff and Troy Brown hitting three threes. And then Beverly, um, who, who missed, I think, his first four threes in the first first quarter early and just kept shooting. I was cussing at my TV, Mike. <laughs> I was cussing. Kept shooting and he ends up hitting four uh, and he kind of hit him. He hit him yeah. in succession to the point where it gave the Lakers their first cushion. So it, it a lot went right for the Lakers and. Little seems to go right for Orlando, and it was a, a very badly needed win, Pete. The question for you, what of this is repl- uh, replicable? What of this can they take um, as somewhat of a blueprint as they go forward and, and try to continue to just find ways to win games without AD? You know, there's been no Laker team that I've covered. I think this is my fifth or sixth uh, season kind of covering the team that I've wanted to talk about rebounding about more than this year's team. And it's because we're as small as we are. And so there's a certain amount, if you listen to the podcast regularly, that like half the time we're like, we're so freaking small. Why are we so small? We don't want to be this small. But at some point you have to be like, okay, like Darvin Ham's job is to be like, this is our team. How do we coach it most effectively? And there is a whole strategy. There's a whole like way to win when you when you have this type of talent it's just you have to fundamentally play differently than you do when anthony davis is on the floor and doing the things where he's a pterodactyl grabbing rebounds 12 feet in the air you know and that whole thing that darvin's talking about about putting a body on someone it really starts there and that's something we've zeroed in on the bad parts of thomas bryant's defense a lot uh over you know over recent weeks and it's you know, again, not out of lack of effort or trying, just TB struggles, I think, really with athleticism, with athletic guys, both guards and bigs. But he's he's doing his best, and but we focused kind of a lot on that. But one thing that he can do and does do is he defensive rebounds, 
in part because he's a big dude that because he puts his best effort into every play, he can put a body on someone. He's not going to get you a rebound way up high, but he can box a guy out and he can go pursue the ball after the box out. And not every big can do both. Like a Brooke Lopez is a great box out guy, but he's not going to box out and pursue. TB can do a little bit of both. And so that's why you see him getting 10 rebounds pretty consistently. But to help deal, to help win those athletic battles, that's where a guy like Russ really comes into play. There was, there was a great play, uh, in last night's game that if, if I'm re- remembering it correctly, Lonnie Walker is guarding Franz Wagner on the ball in the left slot and they're going to run a ball screen and Lonnie is giving up six, six inches in height, right? But Wagner has the ball near half court. And so Lonnie is crowding him. That's one of the first boxes that you check. When you're smaller than the team across from you, they're ball handlers. And this is why I'm so big on ball pressure, Mike, is like you can kind of break the chain very early on by just getting up underneath them. And so that you see Pat Bev do this all the time. He's going to be about waist high, very low for leverage, but just really crowding him. Well, and so Lonnie's doing a great job of that. So I'm like, great job, Lonnie, right? And then, um, but one of the things that you become vulnerable to is uh screens being set on you when you're really attached to a player like that. And so Boncaro comes and sets a screen on Lonnie and just rocks him. And this is one of the places where Lonnie not being particularly strong can come into play. And so Lonnie gets rocked back on his feet. Wagner's coming around the screen, driving into the paint. But this is another place where Lonnie leverages the advantages that you do have. And that's what this is really all about, being good at this sort of thing. Lonnie takes a great angle and gets back in front of Wagner because he's a lot faster than Wagner just by getting a certain level of depth. And so Wagner Euro steps toward the middle and shoots a little bit, a little floater over the top. And this is the portion of the play that, you know, once the ball gets up, up there, like, Hey, let's hope he misses it. But you got him to do that off of a faster footwork and gather than he probably wanted to. He misses it off the back rim. Now, I think this is the same play. I may be mixing up two plays, but TB is boxing out Mo Bamba. And so Bamba, I believe, still has the longest wingspan in NBA history. It's like 7'10 or something ridiculous like that. He's not a great leaper, but he does have that wingspan and have that type of advantage. And so they're battling, and Bamba, you can see his hand kind of outstretched, ready to tip the ball, and Russ comes flying in from on that sandwich rebound and gathers it. And because Wagner has attacked the basket and Bamba's already down there, Russ getting that rebound, that's a four on three break with space in front of Russ. And so you have made the defense, you have made the offense pay for, hey, we're going to be bigger than you and try to attack you in the paint. When you're able to win that battle, it flips it on its head going back the other direction. And so just that whole, like, that sequence right there is, again, that textbook type, type of how do you beat a team that's bigger than you? And so that must have been a really gratifying game for Darwin to watch and his coaching staff to watch. Because just like the execution of certain principles was just spot on. The other flailing limbs of a incredibly long player play that I recall, Pete, because I was sitting on the baseline just to the right or just in front of the Lakers bench. And so when Austin Reeves is coming down two on one against Bull Bull and Reeves is coming essentially right at. Yes. So he's coming straight and Bull Bull is taking an angle where he's coming right sort of towards my seat. And so I see him jump Uh and right. And both of his hands are in the air. And Austin just sort of casually throws the ball 
over and it, it kind of splits through the middle of Bobo's hands right into LeBron's hands and he, and he dunks it. Um, and, and yeah, that, that was just kind of a stark image. But the other thing I wanted to kick off you in a, a bit in response to this is thinking back to Bancaro and to Beverly specifically, and they started the game with Beverly on Bancaro. And I just wonder if Bancaro has ever had that type of a matchup before. And I wonder yeah. if that's one of the things that screwed him up where he's like, well, hold on. What, like, what do I do here? This dude is, he's all over me. He's not letting <laughs> me dribble. He's pushing me. Like they're not calling it. Uh, should I just rise up and shoot over the top? Like, I guess, I guess I should. And, and that was one of those things where I don't know if that happens again when they play again, but it worked. It was like that. It was some Wiley vet type stuff um, that the Lakers used against, Bancaro and Bol Bol and Bamba and you know they Orlando this is where I thought Orlando and in, in their they're exciting as they build towards the future but they don't have anybody that knows how to counter all that stuff and to me this was partly just LeBron and Beverly and Russ to an extent just kind of veteraning these guys uh, and and that's yes. how it played out part of it is <laughs> If I was watching that from an Orlando perspective, I felt very much like a, an old man, like, man, take their ass into the post. You know, like they attack as though guards do. They, they have a very perimeter off the dribble based attack like that, that play of Wagner versus Lonnie. That's Wagner with the ball in his hands, 45 feet from the hoop or 40 feet from the hoop to start the play. And the Boncaro plays against Pat Bev, same type of thing. It's like there's no mid post back to the basket, triple threat type of touches, which is historically how you've leveraged those type of advantages. In fact, it's, it's funny you mentioned that like watching LeBron on the other end, one of, one of the better things about this particular version of the Lakers is LeBron, the big man and Russ and the connection there. Cause LeBron is so good at sealing guys around the basket that it's super funny he'll just he'll execute the just the perfect seal and technique and he doesn't even jump or move really and russ just kind of lobs the ball over the top and it's just like a nice little layup for because he knows how to leverage the oh you switched some smaller guy onto me and like absolutely not lebron's gonna eat that up and in year 20 that's exactly what he one of the places he can really dominate did you want to take a break here and then kind of see what what is applicable as the Lakers head into this back to back at Miami, Pete? Or did you have another thought to close out on Orlando? I'd love that. Let's take a break. Come back with that. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Indeed. 
All right. So the first thing, as we set up here, and Pete, this is this is all going to depend on when the podcast comes out. But LeBron said after the game that he would know when he woke up, you know, essentially how he would feel and if he was going to be able to play in Miami. And I'm sure he knows right now. We won't know for sure until he goes through his pregame warm up, most likely, um, as once the team actually gets to Miami. So obviously, Pete, that will define what happens in this game. If LeBron doesn't play, it, it's going to be tricky to replicate uh, what we saw. If he does, this is a Miami team that I was writing the three things today. Uh, and you know, last year, people might forget they won the East. They were the number one seed. And it wasn't it wasn't with dominance by any stretch. It was sort of they just sort of wild their way to it and had enough games and, and enough wins with, you know, Butler and Bam and Kyle Lowry, but who had an offseason and missed a bunch of games. This year, they have really fallen back to the pack. They're 17 and 17. Butler has missed a bunch of action. And they they have just not been quite that same squad. So Butler, I said, missed, he's missed 13 games um, so far this season. And, you know, Tyler Harrow is starting now, which in some ways has helped their scoring, but has left them a little bit more vulnerable defensively in certain ways. And they don't have that lift when when they go to the bench. So it's a different type of team. But I wonder, to repeat the question from earlier, what about how the Lakers played is applicable to a team that isn't as athletic or long um, as Orlando, but has more of that veteran while and savvy. And, and what do you think the key might be in that context? So our success last night against Orlando, I think is a super interesting data point in terms of evaluating our strengths and weaknesses. And I, when we talk about, we've talked so much about the team being smaller, but we haven't talked about that as much through the lens of strength. A lot of times it's been height and length, right? And those vertical battles. Well, one of the things I've noticed, again, I go back to that play, that decisive play against Charlotte, where you're watching uh, on the goaltend that LeBron had, where you're watching Austin box out Plumlee and Dennis box out PJ Washington. And that's not like, even a jumping thing or anything like that. It's just a physical on the floor type of battle. And those are the ones that I think we're more vulnerable to. I think we're vulnerable to that. And then athleticism versus TB. And so against a team like Miami, if Jimmy plays, do we have any update Mike on like who is and is not playing for Miami? Tonight? Yeah, so they not, they haven't done the officially. There's some game time decisions some questionable type stuff. My expectation is that they play just because that's what usually happens, especially against the Lakers. But like, Jimmy missed their last game because of an ankle. Um, and it seemed like if it were a playoff game, he would play. And Bam, I, think, I believe, had an illness. Um, that was something that that we too will know probably by the time this pod comes out. But I generally just assume that guys that are on the precipice are going to play against the Lakers. And that usually seems to be right. So Jimmy's one of the great, you're talking about veteran while, <laughs> and like he's a superstar in playoff time in particular, uh, in because of that, his skill, but also his strength. He's a guy that will physically, he's strong and he really knows how to leverage it. Like that play, the, like how I was describing LeBron's ability to seal Jimmy Butler's great at that too. And so I think we're more vulnerable to that than the Orlando type of guys that are like skinny young kids, you know, uh, and then Bam's athleticism and just overall skill level. Like he's just a really good player on both ends of the floor. And so th if they both play, this will be a tougher one, I think in part because of, you know, you know, Lowry is strong. Uh, you know, they've, they've, got, they've got a lot of players that have that, uh, physical strength relative to their position. And, and just like with just like with the Lakers, LeBron being the key, you know, they're they're ultimately just a much different team with Jimmy Butler. And this is how 
this is how the NBA works above anything else. When your best player is available and and actually able to function at your one team, and when that player is not, then you have to really find a way to rally around the flag. And you know, Butler to me is such an interesting case where he's he's figured out how to kind of manage his way through regular seasons, but and even games, you know, and you'll see him you'll see him sometimes take two or three shots in the first half, you know, in a given game, and then the fourth quarter comes around. And he can always get to the spots that he wants. He can always get decent shots. And he did this in freaking game five of the finals against the Lakers when it seemed that destiny had told us the Lakers were going to win that one in their black Mamba uniform. And Butler is just like, nope. Yep. Nope. And and he was absolutely spectacular. I forget what his actual stat line was, but um, it was just bizarre. And that's the type of thing where I, going into this, going into these types of games, I always feel for the coaching staffs who are trying to make these scouting reports and they're not totally sure if that guy's going to play, which of course renders a completely different game plan um, than if they do. And so they essentially then have to make two versions of it. And OK, by the way, it was 35 points, 12 rebounds, 11 assists on 11 of 19 shooting and 12 of 12 at the free throw line. Um, that was Butler with five steals and a block. Uh, that was Butler's line. All-time great performance in Game Five, yep. and and that's it, man. That's the stage. Like if you do that, if you do that against LeBron and AD, and the way that the Lakers were playing in that stage in a closeout game, uh, that's that cemented, I think, even further the status that he has of people who really watch the league and are are kind of like, yeah, I know that he might not be in your your consideration right now, but don't forget about this dude. Um, he's he's a bad man, even with his contract. That's a whole other discussion. He's got one of the he's got one of those super 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 max contracts. Okay. So Butler playing versus Butler not is is one obvious thing. But the other thing, Pete, with this Miami team is that they are not the same as Orlando in that they have shooting all over the place. And they have that's something that the Lakers, I, I when they when you think about their length, it's one thing about rebounding and contesting at the bucket. It's another to me when they're just not able to really get out and contest and bother guys like um, Hero, even who shoots a high uh, release on his three-point shot, or Duncan Robinson, or Max Struess, or some of these guys that are just waiting out there uh, to to convert buckets that result out of some kind of a pick and roll, usually or some sort of action in the middle. And that to me is is an, another issue where it's going to be different from the Orlando game. That's spot on, and there's only so much you can do about it. Part of you know uh, beating a team that's bigger than you is understanding where you can and cannot help things. And so with respect to closeouts and just like bothering three point shooters, my counter would be like, if you don't let them get into advantage in the first place, then you're going to have fewer times where you're in rotation, closing out with a six, three dude onto Tyler hero. Right. And so they have less in terms of dribble penetration and, with I haven't watched them a ton this year, but historically Spolster likes to run a lot of stuff with Bam at the top of the key. And so just structurally, they're kind of similar to Denver, uh, the way that they have with Jokic. And we've typically guarded teams like that pretty well from the perspective of like, they, we don't let the advantage get created in the first place. But if we do, if they get into rotation and a guy like Jimmy, whether or not he plays and whether or not he decides to kind of coast for three quarters the way that you were describing like it's it's different playing jimmy in game five of the finals versus what is it december 28th and so all of that will factor in but and especially in terms of creating that advantage but that's where i see the best place that we have to be able to beat them and that really starts with our perimeter defense 
So Miami won their last game against Minnesota, who's shorthanded, but less shorthanded than the Heat. I'm um, just given that neither Butler um, or Bam played. And so they started Jovic uh, at center. And then they just basically had, I mean, you know, Max Struess is technically, I guess he, they have him listed as the shooting guard. He, to me, is more like a small ball four in the way that they usually use him, but whatever, he's kind of a wing. And then they start Martin, Lowry, and Hero. So in that sense, like that team was very much small in the way that the Lakers are small. But that, of course, all changes with Bam in there. And, and he, to me, who I do, I do expect that he will play. Um, I, again, I, I'll, I'll, I wish I had a more live update. But he is problematic in a different way from what Orlando's bigs in length were problematic. And, mm-hmm. and I see him as being uh, just as much of an issue in some ways as Butler. Because, again, you never know for sure what kind of mood Butler is going to be in that, on that day. So where do you see – you mentioned Thomas Bryant and the, being able to be physical some – but where do you see Bam as being the most difficult problem for the Lakers beat? It's if he can leverage his athleticism against us, I think that's where they can hurt us the most. Like you remember, you remember what Gafford did to us in the game where we won, but it was like down the stretch of that game. Yeah, it was like bullying on uh, the offensive glass. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the interesting things that we did, uh, of all the things I liked about last night's game, we ran through the tape, as they say in track and field. Like there have been so many games, like the Indiana game being really one of the highlight ones where it was like they just stopped playing toward the end. And or there have been just stretches where it's like y'all aren't running at all. Like You're just walking. Anyway, and they did not let that afflict them last night. And part of it was we went to LeBron at the five to close because TB's deficiencies against athleticism in particular is I think that's where it really shows up the most and so seeing Darvin last night be like oh with you know yeah we're up 13 or whatever and there's four minutes left five minutes left we're actually we are going to close with Russ because he provides the clunkiness that's there with LeBron and AD the physicality and athleticism and that presence that he provides uh in those aspects really overrides the jump shooting and heck he even hit a couple of those elbow pull-ups yesterday that I've been been starved for you know that I that I've really missed from from his game and so anyway that athleticism I, I think Russ helps with that and so it was interesting to see uh to see Darvin go down that road but with Bam in particular I, I really think that if he's a lob threat tonight then we're going to be in some trouble no question a, a random random point for you that I was thinking about last night so we did a interview with Austin Reeves in the locker room and I brought up the stat to him that he's now fourth in the NBA in charges drawn with 11. And he was like, 11? That's it? And I think the way that the NBA tracks the hustle stats is that if they're going to give you the charge in that context, it's like just the on the way to the basket, you know, like the full on charge, not necessarily the push offs and the, the flailing arm that always seems to hit Austin in the face and so on. Because if you incorporated those, he would have at least won a game. Like on top of it, just literally by just getting hit in the face, which happens every every single game. Uh, that <laughs> is that your understanding of the hustle stat with uh with Austin? yeah. So so the NBA.com site is really good and is just full of gems if you know where to look. I've always though I've seen in just over the years of doing video stuff, like the data collection can sometimes be like. Hey, wait, that wasn't that guy that had the assist. That's a completely different person, you know, and there's enough of that to where 
I stopped using it really as a uh, as a reference point. Again, this is a couple of years ago. I think that they partnered with Second Spectrum. Now, it, like I, I can't speak to the accuracy that there is on that now. But yes, that's one of the things exactly where it's like, no, Austin's drawing those push off fouls that you know the ghost of uh, Derek Fisher embodies him, and he's. I, I've been cracking up watching him play defense and like. And I think the hair really helps. Like, there's a certain, you know, whooshiness when he gets hit, Mike, that I think draws the attention of refs that, you know, he'd he gotten real good at uh, drawing some of them 50-50 ones. Well, we were having a discussion when we landed in <laughs> Miami last night, and it's a, it's a quick flight. So it's like a 40-minute flight from Orlando. And Billy Mack had said something on the broadcast about Austin Reeves being really good at selling those types of fouls. And I had a slight pushback because – I just think that, well, so Austin, the reason that he gets all these fouls is because he's tough and he hangs in there and he's willing to sacrifice and actually give up his body. And I think that's different from some players who are just looking to sell something to the ref, period, um, as opposed to whether or not they're actually drawing the foul. And the equivalent that I would make is, is a long argument that I've had that like the difference between Kobe and James Harden on offense, where Kobe is trying to fool the player into following him or at least you know kind of bait the player into following him so we can get to the free throw line but he's actually trying to score and he's trying to draw that foul where it's Harden is trying to find some sort of a way or like Lou Williams or Trey Young is trying to find some way to grab an arm or kick a leg out or accentuate the contact to the point where it might not even necessarily be a foul but the ref it looks enough like one that the ref is going to, to call one and that to me is the same thing in terms of a flop like a real flopper and somebody who is accentuating contact versus Austin, who is who is definitely drawing the foul and drawing the contact. But then, you know, maybe, yes, he's flicking the hair a little bit. And I know it's a subtle difference. <laughs> and maybe there's some slight bias just in, in general towards Austin Reeves and the way that he's played and, and emerging into what's probably the Lakers third best player um, this season. So I wanted to kick that to you, though, and see where you would land on it. I think you're spot on about that with respect to he is going to. I think he knows the rules really well. That's one thing I've noticed from watching him for a couple of years. One of the things that uh, they would do on, on high school, college, and in the pros is that you'll meet with referee reps before the season, and they're going to give you a rundown of these are our points of emphasis this season. This is how we're calling this play and that play. And it's like very specific actions. And it's a lot of those like block charge type of stuff that can be at the center of those debates. And so one of the things is like if you take a shoulder in the chops or in the middle, like basically the middle of your body is one of the things that the refs really focus on defensively is that if you're taking contact that's initiated by the offensive player in the middle of your body, just from head to toe, you take that, you know, you draw a line right down the center, then you're going to get a lot of those calls. And the thing is, though, you got to be willing to take a shoulder or an elbow right to the mouth. You know, you got to be willing to get that type of forearm right to the middle of your chest and be willing to take that in the post. And then, yes, once you get that contact, sell it as much as you can, man. Let's win the game. But I, I think you're spot on in that these are genuine basketball plays and the Kobe versus Harden comparison is, is, is I totally agree with that. All right. So zooming back to another couple thoughts off of the Orlando game and kind of as they apply to the, um, to the Miami game. So Dennis Schroeder had an interesting incredibly low usage game where he only took yeah. three shots in 28 minutes. Part of that was Beverly taking some more of that usage just in that that was who that Orlando was leaving. And he got 11, three point or 11 shots up, 10 of them being threes. 
Uh, part of it was that like Lonnie Walker, although he usually gets around the 10 shots that he took, seven of them were from three. Westbrook played more than he has been playing lately. Troy Brown came in and got seven shots up, hit six of them. Like Gabriel got five, but I, it was just interesting to me. And I'm trying to figure out what the best usage for Dennis is and the best way to use those minutes with him in that starting lineup where and, and just what stood out to you when you watched the game and how that kind of played out with Dennis. It's so funny because he had one of my favorite buckets of the game. Like we were up by, again, by like 12 or 13 with four minutes left. And I'm just like, please guys, just, just finish the game. And there's just a level of decisiveness that comes with that. And so we ran a handoff between LeBron and Dennis and Dennis rejected the screen and got all the way to the basket for a layup coming out of a timeout. I believe it was when we were losing a little bit of our, our momentum. And, uh, and so to look at the box score and be like, Wow, he took three shots. And I think that there's value in in having a low usage guard that is also capable of doing more. And so I actually think Dennis is one of the players that's settled into a distinctive role that's very different than our other lead guard in Russ in terms of how the team plays when he's on the floor. But even though he's taking three shots in that many minutes, Mike, he's one of those guys that offensively he's totally capable if he were to take 10 12 15 shots in a game depending on the game then that's totally something he can do and he can make those shots and so even a spot up three or something like that it's not you're not great at that but he's one of those just uh just make one out of three and you're in good shape and so yeah it was I, i'm what did you notice uh from up close because that i thought he played a good game and he defended well and he's part of why we played well defensively but yeah three shots was that really stood out to me too well, I think part of it is that he's had a big mindset shift from the last time that he was with the Lakers where, and, and it's humbling in some ways, I think for him. And there's a part of me that sort of feels for him mm-hmm. in that context where he really had envisioned himself as a lead guard and he had shown that he could do that to an extent in the league. And then he had the way that that season ended with the Lakers and then the way that things went in Boston for him and it just going in the wrong direction, basically. And he came back to the Lakers and maybe one of the few teams that was going to have this type of a role and this many minutes for him. And he's really just been kind of a good soldier and a a guy that's been trying to just play the best way that he thinks could help the team. And he's it reminded me a little bit of Dwight in his return to the Lakers compared to how he was playing before um, when, when Howard came in 1920. Not that you know, Shooter wasn't quite in that exact same spot, but where it was getting down to the, all right, is some team going to sign a long-term deal um, at this point, you know, based off what had been, and, and we know all about the details, right, of, of what he potentially was offered by the Lakers and turned it down and all of that. So I think a lot of that plays into this, but he still is more capable than, than you know, what he needed to show, what he's had to show at times as he showed in Germany. Um, and when he led them to the semis, they lost to Spain in a tight game, ended up winning a third-place game. In fact, of course, he played with Franz Wagner. Um, I was going to do a quick hit on that, but then I was like, I don't know how much Laker fans care about this. So I just, I told the producer, I was like, I got a story on <laughs> a shooter and Franz Wagner. But, and then I, as I was talking to him, I'm like, oh, let's just skip it. This, this has been a good game. Alas. So here shooter is, and you're right. So he's still capable of doing a little more, but he's embraced some of those team concepts um, and he's still scrapping defensively. So I've been perfectly fine with how he's playing. The other thing that I noticed, Pete, and maybe the last one for me about that game is that the rotation was a little bit tighter um, in that it was essentially nine man 
And then Christie played five minutes and, and re, you know, really just didn't get a shot, didn't do a lot. Gabriel played 15, Brown played 18, and then Reeves and Westbrook 26 and 29. And I thought that actually worked pretty well. Uh, that mm-hmm. that group is going to be different depending on what team they're playing and, and all of that. But that uh, it just seems that with all of the different turnover and with all of the different problems in terms of availability, and, and this goes mostly to Anthony Davis, that simplifying things and in, in the rotation, some yes. can probably only yes. help this team. I, I would love to find a way to get a few more minutes for Christie, but in the sense of last night, they didn't need it based on how they were playing. And so therefore I think you just have to, to commend the way that Darvin ran the rotation. So that's something that I'll be curious to see if this is something that just in the way that you started the pod beat where, okay, what, what is it about this game the way they competed um, that you can try to carry forward forward and then also just understanding that this is the NBA and all teams like if you're on the losing end of a game like that then it's a different discussion and it's very difficult to sustain that level of consistency uh, depending on who you're playing and what the other team has at stake as well so I totally agree with that and that's why it the essential ingredient is how hard do you play when you're a team that's relatively small and has some athletic deficiencies uh then how hard are you playing is that's what's going to define it because it's the whole essence that I think you're trying to create as that type of team is a swarming effect, right? Like we got two guys on the ball. Once we get the rebound, we're flying up the court. There's a a speed. We ran our pick and rolls. Like we used our, our speed advantages and our size advantages on switches really well last night. And so like we were picking the right tool for the right job on the right play. And all of that, that's like the mental aspect of fatigue or being locked in. It's yeah. It's how locked in are you? Are you able to focus? and be like, okay, they've got this personnel on the floor. Okay, we're going to attack them like this and make sure you're diagnosing it in real time and making that decision on which pick and roll you're going to run. And then just that, but then the physical aspect is that swarming, that ball pressure, that like go, go, go. And I like tightening the rotation to some degree, but one of the values to me of a guy like like Max is he's going to give you he's going to play hard in the minutes that he plays his shift. And that is such an essential ingredient for the whole thing working of beating a team when you're smaller than them, that like, can you do that the second night of a back-to-back on a rotation where everybody's 24 to 30, 32 minutes, LeBron thankfully had a really low minute game. Um, You know, that to me, if if you're going to play fast like that, you got to play more guys or you got to be able to stay at, you know, nine out of 10, 10 out of 10 intensity and speed throughout the game. I I've two, th- I do have one final one kind of point on that. And then I want to ask you a Russ question to close out, but I just, I think that that's all, there's nothing there that I can argue with. It just goes back to the conversation we've had a couple of times where you can't be the team that has the better energy every time in the NBA. You, you just can't, sure. you can't do it because of what the other team is doing. And so that's when on the nights that you don't, uh, and you have to accept that that will happen on occasion. What are the tent poles that you have that you can still, whether it's talent, whether it's length, whether yep. it's whatever it is. And that's the thing that I still think that this Laker team has to figure out some. Because, yes, when you play more focused and harder than the other team, that gives you a chance to win. Typically, when you're the Lakers, it's going to be harder to do that because those teams are going to be up for you. But it's a I'm just trying to recognize the reality of of what happens night to night and. Maybe we can maybe we can save that yeah that part so I can can I ask you my Russ question or did you want to re- respond to that? Just quick response to that. 
I guess what I'm trying to say is there's an execution in that that is beyond just like how hard you play versus the other team. I totally see what you're saying and totally agree with that. But there's like a way like, okay, you check down and you make this box out, you drop down from the perimeter. So like it focus, just takes a level of a focus. focus. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's it's more that really than anything. Yeah. yeah so what's the, that's the fair, rest question? That's fair. And, and when the focus is just not there, um I, that that is part of the frustrating part. But the, the rust thing is just that so we did the walk-off interview with Russ, and and I realized that that's the first time that that's happened. Yeah, and what, it really struck me. It was really good. Well, what that signifies, so forget the interview itself, but what it signifies, usually whoever you do the walk-off with is the person who had the biggest impact in the game or at times the best storyline. And it's very difficult for that not to be LeBron most nights or AD. Uh, sometimes if, if ESPN's doing the game, then they might get LeBron in it, and that's the time where you get to sneak in you know, the occasional Austin Reeves or we did Thomas Bryant once this year, but I, what do you think about that game to repeat kind of a, a theme of this pod, Pete, of what the questions that I'm asking you, what did Russ do differently? That is repeatable. Um, what, what worked better? Why did it work better? And what about that is somewhat sustainable at least as you move forward? It starts with the rebounding. It's really Russ has led his team to victory in a lot of January and February games that are a little bit looser throughout the course of his career. And a big part of that is because he's the guy that can close out the play in this small, smaller type of style or where other people are boxing out. And then you can rapidly change ends of the floor. And so it's just a matter of him doing that. So that was the thing that stood out to me in the Christmas game that I was like, What's this is we played at a very slow pace. Russ played at a very slow pace in the minutes that he played. And when he came off the bench, that's what he can do. Like to me, that Orlando game, if you could bottle that up again, that was a textbook Russ game and how he can be a star. Literally, he can have star level contribution to individual games by pressing the advantages that he have go get, go out, get after the ball, go get, go average 10 rebounds over the next 15 games, you know, Push the pace on offense. Let's go. Let's run. Wenyan's going to run with you. TB's going to run with you. Austin's going to run with you. You've got all these guys that are going to play the type of style that you can really play, but it's up to Russ to press that advantage. And so just how often does Russ do that? Does he do that on the second night of a back-to-back against a Miami team that isn't really athletic out of, out of BAM, outside of BAM either? Like those are the types of things that like that's going to really determine whether or not we win games. Fair enough. Close it. No, close us out. Really enjoyed this talk, man. Um, hopefully we can we can come out with a similar showing tonight, uh, regardless of the result. Just we can play that way, the way that we did in the Orlando game as often as possible. That was very unexpected. And um, let's hope we can keep it up. All right. We'll be back tomorrow uh, to discuss how it went. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van next to the winner. It's on the way. Good. Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot, the He's an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. 
Bryant spinning in the lane, back for Gasol, pretty pass, and it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant, picked up by Bell. There's the move, two, one, miss it! It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant, yes! And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. Add insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.